Well, I'm very excited this morning because today marks my one-year anniversary here at SPC. Hey, I didn't expect that. Thank you so much. But the year has just flown by. And uh, yes, it was this time last year that I was standing up all nervous in front of you guys. Of course, it was at the old building. Um, but here we are today, one year later. So years go by quick, eh? Super quick. And this morning, we're kicking off a new series. And the series in, is entitled, All Things New. All Things New. Church, in Christ, He makes all things new. In Him, we are a new creation. We enter into a new season. He gives us new values, new desires, new vision, new perspective, new purpose, and a new command. All because of the new covenant. One day, it says, he will grant us a new name. In Christ, he gives us a new start, a new beginning, and a new end, a new life, and life forever. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. His grace is renewed with the newness of the day. doesn't matter where you are are today and where you're at because today you can begin again in him it doesn't matter what you've come in here with today today you can get a fresh start in jesus that's good news how many this morning are asking god to do a new thing in their lives shoot your hand up several of us how many of us are asking God for a fresh start, fresh strength, fresh wind, fresh fire, fresh passion? I don't know about you, but I didn't come here today just to go through the motions. I came because my God made me a promise that if I seek him with all my heart and mind, if I look for him and not give up, he's going to show up. I will find him. If I honor him and put him first and draw near to him, he promises that he will draw near to us. If I love him and keep his word, if I make space for God in my life, his spirit will abide with me. Is that you today? Do you, are you asking God to do a new thing in your life? You need a fresh start, a fresh passion, a fresh vision for your life, fresh purpose, fresh perspective. If you seek him with all your heart, God promises that he will abide with you, that he will make himself known to you. If we make space for God, and you've done that this morning by coming here and being open. I remember some years ago um, in Montreal, all the Pentecostal churches used to gather together a couple times a year. And one of the times that we used to gather together was on Pentecost Sunday. Do we do that here at the other churches? Not so much. All the English churches in Montreal that are from the PAOC would gather together on Pentecost Sunday. We would have what we call the Pentecost Rally. And this was a great event because it brought all the churches together. Gary, you remember this, of course. And uh, we would either have it at Evangel or Trinity or one of the larger churches in Montreal. And this, this particular year, it was at Trinity in LaSalle. 
And uh, I don't remember the name of the pastor, but the guest there was um, uh, an African pastor, and he was a leader of a denominational uh, movement in Africa. And phenomenal. And I don't remember his name, forgive me, but I do remember what he said because he opened with a question that really impacted me, and I want to share it with you this morning. He went on to ask, how many of you want to be filled with the Spirit of God? How many of you desire more of the presence of God in your life? How many of you are here this evening hoping to get a word from God? How many of you would like God to fill you to so much, to overflowing so much with you, with his presence and with his power, and, and the people were responding, yes. Is that you today? Are you here and you're saying, I want God to fill me with his presence and his power. I want God to give me a word today. But he asked a very pointed question after they responded. He responded to them with a further question. He leaned over into the pulpit, looked forward and said, you want this from God, but I have a question for you. For what? For what? You want a renewed filling of the, the Spirit of God. For what? You want God to give you a word. For what? And it hit me that day, and he's right. It, it, it can't, our, our Christian life can't be reduced to warm and fuzzy feelings on a Sunday morning. Our relationship with God can't be just so that we get a word from God and then leave here and forget about it. It's interesting in the Great Commission, which really is the heart of Matthew's gospel. You see um, pointers to the Great Commission all throughout the gospel of Matthew, and then it closes with the Great Commission. And it says, go, in, go into all the world and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Make disciples of all nations, right? It's interesting, all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, it echoes this, not only to teach people, but to help them to observe it, to help them to do it. Church, we are so rich with teaching. We are so rich with knowing the right thing. Where we lack is in the doing. I'm speaking to myself. I'm the only one here. I'll just preach to myself. There's a saying. I don't know who coined it first. But talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. And I believe this new season that God is calling us into is a season of doing. Where we not only hear the word, but we Ask God to help us to do it in our lives. If we're asking for more of God, there's a reason, there's a purpose. It's because God wants to be glorified in us and through us to reach a broken and hurting world. Our experience of the Spirit of God cannot be limited to a set list. New life in Christ cannot be reduced to warm and fuzzy feelings in a morning worship service once a week. Our life in the Spirit isn't over when we say amen and walk out those doors. That's when it begins. See, the truth is we do need the presence of God. We need the power of God to fill our hearts and our minds, to saturate our very lives, 
to live an authentic Christian life is not possible apart from the Spirit of God. Have you tried it? If you've been trying to run this race as a Christian without a fundamental awareness that you need God, well, how's it working for you? Let's take a look at Mark chapter 5. Two healings that take place in the second half of Mark chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 21 to 43. If you have a Bible, cool. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. Mark chapter 5, verse beginning in verse 21. It says this, When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Verse 25. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction or suffering. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion, and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The the child has not died, but is asleep. And they began to laugh at him. You ever tried to honor God and say, I'm trusting in God, and people turn around and laugh at you? You say, that's funny. You believe God for a deliverance or a healing. Say, I'm trusting God, and they laugh at you. They laughed at Jesus. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astonished. And he gave them strict orders that no one 
know about this, and he said that something should be given to her to eat. Twelve-year-old girl, the woman had a physical issue for 12 years. I think that's significant. This is a story of two miracles, two healings. And in the first one, we have a character by the name of Jairus. He was a synagogue official. He was a respected ruler. People knew who he was. He was on TMZ. But more than all of those designations and degrees, he was a father. He was a parent of someone who was sick. He had a sick child. In fact, this child was so sick that she was dying. He was in a desperate situation. But he made the decision to bring his situation to Jesus. Maybe you've been in a similar situation or you know someone who's been in a similar situation. Can't imagine what it would be like for Jairus or some of the other parents I know that have had to children with sickness, hospital visits, and doctor's appointments, and tests, and tests, and tests, and diets, and special circumstances, and special situations, and special accommodations that are required, begins to define your life. Your life is not the same anymore. Your life, and your prerogative, and your ability to make plans, all succumb because of the situation that you're in. You begin to define your life by that. And it's interesting, uh, let's take a look again at verse 23 and listen to his faith. He said this to Jesus, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. NIV, it says, she will be healed and live. See, this word healed is the same word that we get the word salvation. She will be saved. She will be healed. It also means rescued. You see, the idea of salvation in Scripture is that Greek word sozo. And sozo actually is a whole, has a holistic meaning. When Jesus saved you, he didn't just provide an eternity, a life eternal, but he did a holistic work in your life. He redeemed you. He rescued you. He healed you from your affliction. Healing is available in the salvation that Jesus has purchased for us. If you are in need of a healing, you can come to God with your request. If you have a sick child, you can do like Jairus did. You can bring that child before the throne of our Savior. Because provision has been made at the cross for us. That's good news. Salvation has affected our entire life. And just as Jairus defined his life by this sickness and the potential death of his daughter, he understood that if he could be saved by Jesus, that his life would turn around. 
if this situation could be redeemed, if his daughter could be healed, if she could be made well, his life would take on a different meaning. Salvation touches our entire life. It was the same with the woman with the hemorrhage. In her case, she needed a physical healing. Her situation was desperate. She had struggled with this health issue for many years. She'd gone to see all the doctors. She tried all the medicines. She's done all the tests, all the procedures. And it says that she spent her entire livelihood on this condition. She'd go from doctor to doctor to doctor to try to be fixed, to try to be healed, to try to find a remedy for what was going on. And it says that not only did she suffer much at the hands of all of these physicians, and I love our doctors, amen? Our doctors are fantastic. I'm not coming against physicians. Actually, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke was a doctor, and in his version of the story, it says nobody could do anything for her. But it says that her situation got worse and worse. Is that you today? Do you need a healing touch from the Lord? Are you willing to bring your situation and expose yourself and bring yourself to the foot of the cross today? You say, you know, I've done that. Well, let's do it again. Let's continually bring it before the Lord. This physical issue, just like Jairus, it affected her entire life. In fact, it defined her. This is We don't even have her name in Scripture. We just have, it was the woman with the health issue. That's how we identify her. She believed that Jesus could save her. She uses the same words. Let's look again at verse 28. For she thought... If I just touch the hem of his garment, I will get well, or I will be healed. You know that word healed? In the original Greek, it's the word sozo, again. If I could just touch Jesus, if I could get close to him, if I could just reach out and take a hold of his garment, if I could just do that, I know I will be redeemed. I know I will be rescued. I know I'll be made whole. I know my life will be saved. She had tried everything else, but she was desperate. What I want to say to you is that often in our comfortable society, we never get to this place of desperation. We never get to a place where we really need Jesus. We have all the comforts, we have all the technologies, we have all the resources. It's interesting that when you look at global spirituality and you look at the most religious places in the world, the most people who are crying out for God are often in places where they don't have the resources we have. It's often in the poorer countries. Why is that? She was desperate. And what I want to communicate to you this morning is that there's a blessing in brokenness. There's a blessing in the brokenness because it, that when, the, when there's no other place to go, 
When you're down at the very bottom, at the end of your rope, the only way to go is up. I stand here today as someone who, when I was 19 years of age, I reached the end of my rope. I said, Lord, I tried it my way. I can't live this life. This is the mess I've made with the life you've given me. So, Lord, I hand you the reins. Since then, you've caused me to be born again by the Spirit of God. You gave me a new life, a new purpose, a new family, a new perspective. Is that your story today? Were you at a place at one point in your life, or maybe many points in your life, where you were at the end of your rope? Maybe you're here today and you're at the end of your rope. If that's you, you can find Jesus this morning. If that's you, you can reach out for his garment. Are you still here? Say amen. Are you desperate enough to bring your need to Jesus? Her healing brought her to a place where she was forced to open up about her brokenness. Let's look at verse 33 one more time. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. She had to admit. She had to open up. She had to be exposed, saying, Yes, she was the one who reached out and touched Jesus. Some years ago, I think it was around 2013, there was a a pastor evangelist in the States by the name of Jenison Franklin. And he was doing a message on wounds and healing. The message was entitled Deep Wounds and Deep Healing. And, <coughs> excuse me, he said that there's two things that are required for healing. You want to know what they are? Okay, come back next week. There's two things required for healing. Number one, he said that he had done some research and he had asked some, uh, some medical staff, said, you know, what's really needed for wounds to be healed? And he, and he was told this. There are probably different opinions out there, but this is what he was relating. He said, allow air to keep the wound dry and it will help its, its, its healing. So don't put a Band-Aid on it or a bandage. Obviously, if you have to stop the bleeding, that's what you have to do. But for wounds to heal, they need air. They need to be dry. It's going to help the healing. Amen? Number two, the blood that rushes to a wound actually serves many purposes, not just to replace the skin and form a, a scab and eventually, um, you know, all those medical things that happen. But one of the things that the blood does is it actually cleans the wound. It actually cleans the wound. So he said this, in other words, if you want your wounds to be healed, stop covering it up and let the blood flow. Stop covering it up and let the blood flow. We can't be healed from God if we're so fast, hard at work about covering it up, about keeping the facade, keeping the mask up. We have to expose ourselves to the master and say, God, I need you. I'm at the end of my rope, God doesn't matter who's around me, who sees me, but I'm going to the altar today because I need a fresh touch from God. I need God to take the broken pieces of my life 
and to make me new. I can't live in this state, in my condition anymore. I've had enough. I'm ready to bring it to the Father. And Lord, when I come, let your blood flow. Let the blood of the cross of Calvary flow over my life. Let your grace and your mercy and your life-giving power rest upon my life. Is that your prayer? Don't cover it up and let the blood flow. We do so well to cover up our wounds. We hide them. We try to protect ourselves. We try to put on a mask. We make ourselves look like, like we've got it all together when really we don't. Church, I do not have it all together. Do you, who has it all together? They should come up. They're going to preach from here the rest of the message. You see, I think this is what draws us together, our vulnerability. If we share with each other where we are weak, where we need help, this is what causes us to be united in deeper ways. So, there's a blessing in brokenness. Think about the people who are closest to you in your life. Why are they close to you? What makes them close? Well, if you think about it, it's because you've been there when they were going through a lot. Or they were there when you were going through a lot. They were facing a hard situation. They were facing some things in their life that were broken. And you walked with them. You journeyed with them. Or you went through it together. That's what causes us to be united. So there's a blessing in brokenness. The broken pieces of our lives can be used as seams to knit us together. Our brokenness can be a blessing because if we get real with our weaknesses, there's no other place to go but to God. The weaknesses we bear in our lives bring us to a place of reliance on God. We often learn way more from our failures than from our success. Amen? The challenges, the weaknesses that we discover as we move through this life only serve to help us to grow. Because we, have, we are forced into a position where we have to acknowledge our need for growth. And we can't do that when we're just winning all the time. forced to acknowledge our need for him. It activates our faith towards the provision of God and causes us to grow. Our blessing covers not just the one weakness, but also other weaknesses of the same degree. What does that mean? That means that if you've been going through something, you've been struggling with something, you needed a healing, you needed deliverance, and God touched your life, and he caused you to grow in this one area, that area of discipline then helps you to be disciplined in other areas. It helps you to have faith to believe God in other areas. So the blessing of the brokenness in one area can transcend and help us with other situations. Not only our own situations, but the situations of other people. Have you ever felt that you wondered why you went through something and then God sent two or three people in your life going through the same thing and you're like, I understand. 
I can empathize with you. I didn't understand why I was facing this situation, but what I learned from it, I can help you. I can help strengthen your faith and help encourage you because of what God did in me. So there's a blessing in the brokenness. One of the greatest gifts you can receive from God is when he leads you into a situation, into a position where you can do nothing else but trust in him. There's blessing in the brokenness. Let's take a look at John 12, 24 to 25. Maybe you're here and your situation is you don't need a healing. Maybe you just feel like you're floating through life and you are seeking for a purpose, a greater purpose. John 12, 24 to 25, it says this. Truly, truly, or very truly. Now, we use words to emphasize things. Let me just take a sidestep here. We use words in English to kind of accent things. So we'll say words like very and truly. In the Greek, they just repeated words like truly, truly. And that was a way of emphasizing. Today, on chat, we've just, we just control B. We're just, we bold everything, right? Or we, we capitalize it. It's like we're yelling at people online. But in ancient Greek, if you're writing, they just repeat the word. And that's why when, when we read something like holy, 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 you can imagine the emphasis that it has for what it's trying to communicate on the degree of holiness that we're talking about. Here, Jesus takes the time to say, truly, truly, I tell you that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Whoever loves his life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. A seed needs to die. I don't know about farming. I don't know about agriculture that much, but apparently the seed has to be sacrificed. The seed can't stay a seed and bear fruit. It goes into the ground and dies. There's only one way to heaven, death. Sorry to disappoint you. But if you want to experience heaven, asking for the kingdom of heaven to come down into and break into this life, we also need to die to ourself. If you're wanting more purpose in your life. Maybe you don't need a physical healing, but maybe you say, I, I feel like I'm just floating through life and I need to find a purpose, something that's greater than myself. We need to surrender our lives. It's about picking up our cross and following him. Matthew 16, 24 through 27 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must, must not optional, must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. 
purpose is about living for something beyond yourself. If you feel like you're just floating through life, just going through the motions, I would suggest you would find that life surrendered at the cross. Paul said his life was being poured out for others. We read at the beginning of our time that Jesus' life was poured out for us on the cross.